This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. If anybody needs a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We can get you a Bible. We're in Philippians chapter 1 today, continuing our new series, It's All in Your Head. The title of today's message is, You Don't Know What You Don't Know, Do You? You Don't Know What You Don't Know. And and Paul's going to be continuing this, this theme, this this concept of right thinking, proper thinking, being encouraged, staying in the place that you're supposed to be in before God, because God knows you. He wants you to know Him. God knows what you're going through and wants you to understand that it's if it's according to His purpose, it's good. We can try to step outside of the purpose of God's will in our lives, and then those things are bad. But when we're in the will of God, in His purposes for us, following him, it's always, those things are always good. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we jump into chapter one. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in our lives. We thank you that we can have this confidence in you because uh, we're getting to know you more. And the more we get to know you, the more we see how good you are. Lord, I don't know what my brothers and sisters are going through in this season, but I do know that you want to engage them through those things that they're going through, that you want to support them, that you want to love them, that you want to comfort them. So God, we pray today that you would empower us in your word, that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what your spirit has to say to us, that we'd be able to apply these things to our life, be encouraged and blessed to walk in boldness in what the things that you have for us. We love you, Lord. We thank you for that time that we can offer you the fruit of our lips and we can worship you through that. We thank you, God, the worship of, of studying your word and applying it to our lives. And we thank you, God, for the tithes and offerings. We pray that those would go to your glory, Lord, and it would be a, a, a thing of worship that we would do before you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. We talked about that a little bit last week, didn't we? What you think about is ultimately what you are. Have you ever tried to convince somebody something that you know to be true and they just, you know, they they won't have it? I had to use the restroom between services. Maybe this is too much to share with you. But I looked over and I noticed that the toilet paper was on the thing the wrong way. How many of you believe that there's a correct way to put the toilet paper on the roll? How many of you believe it doesn't matter? Put your hands down. No, no. (laughs) I think that there's a proper way. And when I try to convince you of my thinking, 
But it's more than toilet paper rolls. It's, it's the word of God. It's his, it's his opinion, his perspective, his truth. And when I, uh, I used to think that when I would share the gospel with somebody, I would argue with them to win an argument because I'm right. You guys know that, right? I'm right. And I'm right, and I want you to be with me in my opinion, and we can live for eternity together with God, and you're wrong, you're going to hell. So you want to be with me, I'm right. But it's not like that anymore for me. It's more like, have you tasted that God is good? You know what that means? Have you tasted? Have you experienced the goodness of God? Do you know who he is? You need to know how much God loves you how much he has in store for you, how much he wants for you, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think, God wants for you. And that's the perspective. That's the thinking for me, like you need to know who God is. Paul, here he is, he's in prison he writes three epistles, Philippians, one of them while he, as we mentioned last week, is potentially sitting on death row. And one of the words that's used to describe the epistle of Philippians is joy. <laughs> and how many of you would be joyful in that kind of situation? How many of you would be upset? Was Paul guilty of anything? Does anybody know? Did he actually do anything wrong? He was innocent. How would you feel being held prisoner, potentially on death row, as an innocent man or woman. I read this article this past week I thought was very insightful. It was titled, The Age of Rage. And this is a little clip from it. As a society, we seem not to express anger and move on, but to stew in it until, at the extremes, it hardens into violence and hate. They say that right now we are the most angry generation. We're furious. I don't know how they know that because I didn't live, you know, 500 years ago. Or we, how did we record that? But it's true that, that if it, it's okay to be upset. Did you know that? It's okay to be angry and move on from it. Be angry and do not sin. But what's not okay is when we allow anger to, to take a root in our lives. And then it develops and matures into hatred. Talk about vitriol. It, it, it goes into a hatred that then manifests itself in violence. And there's people right now today who are on two sides of the spectrum, even here in our country, that would literally kill each other because they had different opinions about something. That's not okay. It's not okay to want to kill somebody because you're not able to control or process your way of thinking. It's better for us to have the right perspective. And what Paul does this morning for us is two things. And if you're a note taker, these are our two points. Yeah, sometimes we have seven points. Sometimes we have 23 points. Today, it's only two. It's going to be easy for you to remember. Two things. Number one, what he says he wants them to know. I want you to know that. And then also uh, what he does know as certainty. He says, I know this, therefore I want you to know it. I want you to understand. This is what's happening to me, but this is the perspective that I'm coming from. I want you to know. 
Let's look at the first one in verse 12. Right there in the text, right as we start. But I want you to know, brethren. There's that word again. That's the knowing. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. If anybody had any reason to be angry or upset, it was Paul. And he could write them from that perspective. You know what? Curse the Romans. Start a petition. This is wrong. I'm being unjustly held. I'm innocent, man. You know me. That would trickle over into their lives, I'm sure, as well. And there would be a response to that. But he's saying, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me, that are happening to me, are furthering the gospel. That the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Do you know what this is, church? This is right thinking. When we look at our lives and we filter what, goes, what happens and, and, and what we go through, and we look at it as everything that I go through, as I know who God is, I understand that he has good purposes toward me, and you have that perspective and say, this is, this is all going to work out for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What it's going to do is it's going to allow you to be a witness of Jesus Christ in your life to be a testimony of the goodness of God. But if you freak out like everybody else, if you react instead of responding, then you're going to look like everybody else. And do you want to look like everybody else? Take note of this. I know that this is difficult. We don't like to filter our issues and problems like this. But can we ever be in a place where we say, the difficult things that I'm going through right now are okay because the gospel is being proclaimed? I don't really think like that. I think of my comfort. I think of, of, of my, uh, my future for my benefit, my retirement, you know, the things that, that are going to put me in a better place, the things that I want out of life. Not what God wants. It's my kingdom, my glory. Just a little taste of the glory. See what it tastes like. No, the Bible teaches us we see that when we're living according to God's plan for, for our lives, that the, the eternal perspective is that he's glorified, and that's good. If I can say what I'm going through is furthering the good news of Jesus Christ, that's, that's, a, that's a glorious position to have. Now, you have to be willing, and this is the difficult part, okay? You have to be willing to share the gospel with people in order for it to be furthered through your life. You have to be willing to say something to them. Now, they can see it in your life. That's good. They they, they should be able to see it as well. But you have to be in a position and a place to say, I want my life to exemplify the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what the, the core, the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is? As I mentioned last week, It's knowing God. It's it's knowing your creator, knowing his purposes for you. 
And when you can do that, and you're in a difficult place in prison or whatever is happening, people look at your life and they say, I want to know this guy's God. I want to know who he is. Look at it actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Who is he witnessing to? He's witnessing to the palace guard, to those people who have him under arrest. And there'd be a cycle that would go through and they would change guards and somebody else would get Paul. And as soon as they got Paul and they were chained to him, Paul would start sharing the love of God with them. And they're like, oh, here we go again, Paul, you know. And they're not going anywhere because they're guarding him. They're, oh, great, here we go. Listen to it again. No, but I want you to understand, guard. I want you to know that I know who God is and he wants you to know him too. That he has good things in store for you, even though you are holding me captive, prisoner. And this is what would happen. As these things were taking place, some of these people were getting saved. Did you ever think that if you weren't in the place that you were in, that that person might not hear the gospel and come to salvation in Jesus Christ? I remember uh, going back to Croatia a number of years ago, a few years ago, when we would go back and visit the churches and encourage them, kind of like what we're doing here in about a week or so. And uh, we went and met with this one girl that was a member of our church in Split down there in Croatia. And uh, I was talking to her. We were kind of reminiscing. And um, she just broke down in tears, started crying. I said, what's wrong? Are you okay? She said, I just remember the day that we met. And that day, we had a team, an outreach team, and we were doing street evangelism. Street evangelism is when you go out on the street, and it's easy in Europe because everybody's outdoors on the streets. You'll fry in Vegas, but everybody's hanging out. And you just walk up to somebody and you start talking to them with the purpose of sharing the gospel with them. And here I see this young girl, she was high school, sitting next to a guy on a, on a park bench. And I walked up to him and I just started talking to him. And she happened to be a huge fan of American television. She was really into Lost at the time. I'm dating myself. You guys remember Lost, the TV show? Good stuff, except for the finale. Anyway, so she was really into the show. I, we hadn't heard about it, but I said, hey, why don't you come over to our house? We'll hang out, you, me and my wife, and we'll watch this show together. So she said, okay. So she started coming. And I said, hey, we need a translator at church. I'll pay you to come on Sundays and translate for me from English into Croatian. This is the early days when we were, we, you know, we were just getting started. She said, money for talking? Sure. She started coming. Guess what happens when you start getting into the Word of God? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And I'd say, hey, listen, I don't want you to show up tomorrow and not be ready. So I want you to read this chapter and go through it so you're familiar with it. Next thing you know, she ends up becoming a believer. She gets baptized. Years later, here we are, and she's like, well, I don't know where I would be right now if you didn't walk up to me. And this isn't to point to me whatsoever. This is to, this is to say, how willing are we to share the love of God with people through all circumstances of our lives? 
How willing are we to point to him when we're going through difficulty and say, yes, it's hard right now. I may be in prison. I may even be in chains, but it's for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's so that I'm here in this place with you right now, and I have an opportunity to share this part of my life with you. In that hospital bed, in that unemployment line, at the DMV, you're suffering persecution in, at the DMV. I was just talking to somebody the other day. They said, I went to the DMV. I, need to, I said, did you have an appointment? They said, no. Do you guys know you can make an appointment now at the DMV? Make, a, make an appointment, okay? I texted him later and said, hey, how's it go? how did it go at the DMV? He said, after four hours of waiting, I left and made an appointment. <laughs> Torture for Christ. But you know how many people you're going to see? Have you ever sat in the DMV and not talked to the person sitting next to you? I believe that you probably didn't, but you know what? You could. I always try to talk to people around me, even if I don't want to, even if I don't like them. I don't know because I didn't talk to them. Okay, well, hey, I'm here. I'm suffering persecution. How's your day going? And you know, whenever you ask somebody how their day go is going, you know, it's so easy for that to lead to you sharing the gospel with them, sharing the love of God with them. Because you know what they say? They say, this, that, the other thing, how are you doing? And I say, oh boy, I am good. I'm so good. I'm on fire good. And they're like, why? And I'm like, because God is good. Because I may be here suffering, but let me tell you something. I've experienced God on a level, and, and, and I want you to know that he wants you to know him on that level too. You know, people are taken back by that. But it's true. He does. And even in the most difficult circumstances, God is engaging people and revealing himself to them. He says, it's actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel for me to go through these things so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Have you ever been around somebody that is just so excited and confident in where they're at that it just kind of, you know, it... it pushes you in that direction. People are looking at Paul's life. They're saying, Paul is crazy. He's going through all these things. And man, for the gospel's sake, he's being, he's being tortured practically. And it pushes them to a place of wanting to get out there and, and, and be more active in sharing God's love with people. I'll never forget, we went to a missions conference one year, and there was this old, old, old couple that were missionaries in Africa for years and years and years. I think they're there for like 50 or 55 years in Africa. And they're like in their 80s, and they were up there at the stage, they were both talking, and you know, they were like talking over each other and making these cute little comments to each other because they'd been married forever. And, and it's just like, I want to be like you. I want to be a cool old man, you know? Not a grumpy stuck up, selfish old man. I want to be a cool, selfless, loving others old guy. Those guys are the best, aren't they? How are you provoked to go out and love people like you've never loved them before, to share the heart of God with them, to share that, that they can have reconciliation to God? 
I, I hope and I pray for me that, that that's what happens for us when we get together and meet as a church. That you'd be so infected and, and influenced by the Spirit of God and how he's moving and the things that he's doing in our fellowship that you'd be wanting to go out and, and say, I want to go to the DMV this week. Not many people. <laughs> I want to be placed in a position where I'm encouraged, strengthened, to pursue God, and as he reveals himself to me, I can say to other people, I know, I know who he is, and he wants you to know too. He wants you to know too that your struggles and your difficulty have purpose, that he knows it inside out and backwards, that he has good things in store for you. You just have to be submitted to him. Most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Do you know that what's the primary reason that you have not shared the love of God with somebody or talked to them about the Lord recently or ever? What's the main reason why? I'll tell you why. Fear. And you know, it's, it still happens to me. The enemy comes in and says, don't you share with that person. Don't you talk to that person. They're going to reject you. They're going to think you're stupid. They're going to punch you in the face oh, maybe I'll wait for the next person. And when you wait for the next person, guess what happens? Then it's the next person, then it's the next person, then it's the next person. I get it, it can be hard. But I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you, church. I want you to think, and this is not said in condemnation or judgment. It's just a challenge. When is the last time that you shared the love of God with somebody? When is the last time that you talked to a stranger about what you know about him. Maybe this week is time for you to bump into somebody at the grocery store or while you're filling up your car at Costco. How many people fuel their cars up at Costco? You know those guys walking around that work at the Costco gas station? They're looking for somebody to talk to. They're standing there all day. Every time I'm like, hey, what's up, bro? They're like, hey, what's going on? How are you doing? What's going on in your life? I'm like, God is good. God is good. And do that. Make a note of it now. Don't just say, oh yeah, Pastor Tim, stupid challenges all the time. Hate that guy. Just talk to him. Ask him how they're doing. And tell him God is good and see where the conversation goes. Get this 15. It's a different kind of angle. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. This is very interesting. There's two types of people. He says some people identify, they see what I'm going through, they see the fruit that's coming from it, and they want to be better than me. It's like a, a spirit of competition, and they want to have a bigger church, and they want to go out and preach the gospel more. And you know what Paul says? Who cares? Good. If that's what motivates you, God is the one that's going to judge you and the gospel is being preached. Some are preaching for their own gain, for their own benefit. Oh, there's going to be some, you know, this, this, is, this is a good situation. He experienced this before. I can make a little money from this. 
that's not the right motivation. And he'll tell them to their face, you can't do this. You're going to get yourself in trouble. But again, God is the one that's going to take care of business. I remember having a conversation with a missionary when we lived in Croatia uh, of another organization, another denomination. We were talking and and the subject comes up from time to time when you're out there like, do you think you'll ever move back to the States again? And I said, I don't know. You know, like we've our kids were born here. We speak the language. I have a business, you know, we have a cafe and a language school. And I don't know what, you know, I don't know. I don't know. God knows. And when he tells us it's time to go or if we need to go, then we'll go. And they said, ah, we'll never probably move back to the States. And I said, why? He said, we'll never be able to find a job to replace our income. And that kind of broke my heart a little bit. So I'm like, you're here sharing the gospel with people for the financial benefit of it? Now, uh, you can look at me cross-eyed and say, hey, you know, maybe the guy's got a point, but I guess if I settle with Paul, at least the gospel's being preached, whatever their motivation is. Do you know how many missionaries are out there? Very, very few. In fact, if you've never been on a mission trip with me, I would like to invite you and encourage you to come. When you go outside of the states of these different countries, there it is overwhelming the lack of Christian presence. Overwhelming. It's crazy. I used to look forward to coming back to the states on furlough to see our friends and family and visit churches just so that I could bump into random Christians <laughs> and ask people, hey, are you Christian? Hey, this is so cool. It never happened over there. So, hey, maybe his motivation is not right, but at least he's still there. We're, we're post-mission society. No, let, keep going. And, and you know where the mission starts? The mission starts right here now. The gospel was to be presented from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Our Jerusalem is Las Vegas. Our Samaria is Pahrump. Anybody want to go out there and preach the gospel? Nevada, the United States, and then out somewhere else. If you're not willing to share the love of God with somebody that you're standing right next to here, you're not going to be willing to do it in a different country. Don't let fear stop you from seeing the power of God move in a person's life. You know, one of the most exciting things I love about being a pastor and there's a lot of difficult things, trust me. But one of the most exciting things is when somebody gets a heart for God and grabs onto him and just is off for the ride. They're just, it's amazing the things that I've seen God do in people's lives. And I've seen a lot of heartache and difficulty also. Whatever the motivation is, whether it's out of love or maybe even to spite Paul, whatever the case may be, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this, I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. We're not talking about false gospel teachings. I think that's different. If somebody's preaching a gospel that doesn't align biblically like a works-based gospel, then it's, I'm not going to be like, well, Christ is preached, because he's not. Jesus Christ is, 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 the, is, is the one who finished things. There's nothing else that you can add to or take away from the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So I'm not talking about supporting people who, who are preaching a false gospel. I'm talking about people that I have differences of opinion on about eschatology or the end times situation or those types of things. And then we transition from this, I want you to know. Remember, this is the perspective that Paul's coming from. I want you to know. I want you to understand these things. And then he switches gears and he goes to what he knows because you can't tell somebody else what they should know if you don't know it. You have to be in that position. I do a lot of counseling across the board, all different kinds of situations, all different kinds of scenarios, and I can tell you that I can't really speak to the personal level of what somebody's going through unless I've gone through something similar. Extreme example, I can't comfort or console a parent that has lost a child. I haven't lost a child yet. So I can't, I can't meet them in that place. But you know what is nice about the body of Christ? There's other people in the body who have experienced that. And I could say, hey, you need to get together with this person and talk to them. Losing a loved one or a spouse or going through hardship uh, in the workplace. Hey, you need to get together and talk with this person about it. You know why? Because they know. They know what it's like. They've gone through it. In Corinthians, it says, comfort each other or comfort others with the comfort that you receive through the Holy Spirit. And as you're going through difficulty and you're pursuing God and he's comforting you, he's meeting you, then you're in a better place to help other people. And we should want to be in a place where we're helping others. We should want to be naturally. I want to help you. Let you get through this. So he transitions to the second point. If you're taking notes, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He says, I know, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Look at Paul. He, he's saying, I know, I know. That's the key, right? He's saying, I know that everything's going to be okay. And the next few verses, spoiler alert, he says, I know, <laughs> I know everything's going to be okay whether I live or whether I die. <laughs> I know everything's going to be okay whether it works out for the way I want it to or it doesn't. I know that it's going to be okay. And I want you to know that I know and I want you to have the same perspective that it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. So what you're going through right now, God wants you to know that it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. And you know, I've heard that word from God before. Going through a severe trial, going through difficulty, weeping my eyes out. Some of the most difficult periods of my life was when I was single. I had to do my own laundry. I had to wash my own dishes. I had to give myself shoulder massages. I cried my eyes out. But you can know that in the most difficult thing that you're going through right now, that connected to God, His purposes and His will, it's going to be okay. 
And he would say that to me in the most difficult trial. I'd be like, God, I can't handle this. I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to fail. I'm going to quit. I'm going to give up. And God says, it's going, Tim, it's going to be okay. And that alone, hearing the Lord speak and say, it's going to be okay, I could just say, it's going to be okay. So I want to tell you today that it's going to be okay. I know that it's hard. I understand that it's difficult, but trust that the Lord knows too, and it, it, it's going to be okay. I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. I love how there's still that theme rolling over, you know, from our uh, glorious expectation series. He doesn't even just say expectation. He says earnest expectation and hope. This is his position. I have an earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. I'm not going to look back and say, that was for naught. That was for nothing. There was no reason for me to go through that. God was just messing around with me. And he would be ashamed. Why would I think that everything was going to be okay and it wasn't okay? No. His, his confidence in knowing who God was also brought this earnest expectation and hope that nothing that he went through he would be ashamed in. <clears throat> but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. That's that part I was telling you about. It's all going to work out, whether I live or die. <laughs> Nobody else is laughing except for me. You don't think that that's a profound statement? It's all going to be fine whether I live or die. Whatever happens, it's going to be good. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. Do you know that it's up to you today to choose? whether you're going to live in life or you're going to die, live in death, it's up to you. Do you know why? Because it's all right here. You can, you can get so bogged down in negative thinking and wrong perspective that the life is drained and sucked right out of you. He says, whether I live or die, I don't care. But you know what? I can choose how I live today. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Have you ever just felt like, okay, I'm done, Jesus, take me home. <laughs> I'm done with this struggle life. Am I the only one? In my single days. Take me home, Lord. I can't deal with it anymore. I can't handle it. It's more beneficial for me if I remain. The struggle is real. Things are getting difficult. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And then here's our, our closing verse and thought. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Here's our takeaway for this study this morning. Having right thinking 
leads to unwavering confidence. That's the word that we got here today. This is what he says again. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue uh, with you all for your progress and joy of faith. He says, I know. I'm confident. And when you have confidence, remember we talked about the difference between pride and confidence? When you have confidence, it's, it's in somebody else. It's confidence in God. When you have right thinking, you're able to have confidence in your circumstances and you're able to move forward. And you, with right thinking, you can have unwavering confidence. Think about this with me. Think of all the Bible characters that, that you know. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, the, the great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews. What do they all have in common? They all had this thing in common. What was it? They had this unwavering confidence. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They had confidence that God was going to do something. Even when they didn't see it, even when they were at their worst. I want to highlight one story. I wanted to talk about uh, a bunch of people like go through the list in Hebrews. But I want to highlight one story of one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. Turn with me, if you'd like, to 1 Samuel chapter 14. We'll read about one of the guys that I wanted to be like as a young Christian man. I identified with this guy. Look at this. Chapter 14 starting in verse 1. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistines. The Philistines are the enemy, by the way. Come, let us go over to the Philistines garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father, and Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, and Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. The Philistine garrison was not too far away, and there were some over 600 men that could have gone with him. But he says, let's go check out the Philistines, see what they're up to. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sene. The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Here's our, uh, our point here. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. <laughs> it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from now, uh, from saving by many or by few. Jonathan has his confidence. He says, God is able to give us victory, just the two of us. He doesn't need a lot of people. He can use a few people. Let's go over and see if, if we can, you know, knock some heads around. And what does the armor bearer say? Oh, Jonathan, slow down, buddy. There's only two of us. There's a lot of them. No, he was influenced by the confidence that Jonathan had in God. He was influenced by the confidence that Jonathan had in God. Can people be influenced by your confidence in God? Absolutely. 
for nothing restrains the Lord. I, I like how he says this too. It, 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 just the way that it translates. Come let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. It's like, hey, you never know what's going to happen. Let's go over and give it a shot. All right, let's go do it. For his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say to us, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has delivered them into our hands and this will be a sign to us. We'll go over there. Hey, how are you guys doing? What's going on? And if they say, hey, you guys wait there. We're going to come down. Then we'll know, you know, something's amiss. But if they say, hey, you come up here, then, then we'll go up there and we'll take care of business. There was some kind of connection. There was some kind of discernment that they had that God was involved in the process too. They weren't just testing God. They were taking steps of faith and confidence and saying, if this thing lines up, this is what we're going to do going forward. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, hey, come up to us and we'll show you something. Hey, we got something to show you guys. You want to come up here? Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll come up and see what you got up there. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. Do you know why it's so detailed about that? It's up the side of a mountain. He's climbing up the side of a mountain to go confront the enemy in God's name. And they fell before Jonathan and as he came up after him, his armor bearer killed them. The first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was 20 men within about a half an acre of land. And you know why I want to be like Jonathan? Not so I can slay the uncircumcised. <laughs> so that I can confront the enemy in confidence, knowing who my God is that he wouldn't have any room in my life to say, hey, you come out of your hole yet? Why don't you go back and crawl into your hole, you little weak person? <laughs> that was close. No, I want to have confidence in God. I want to stand for what I know to be true, and I can't be confident in things that I do not know. Therefore, you are here this morning hearing the word of God, knowing who he is towards you and what he has for you so that you can have confidence and not shrink back down and go hide in the hole. Bury your head in the sand. Try to get through the difficulty. God wants you to rise to the challenge. He wants to lift you up on, on wings like eagles so that you can have confidence and boldness in his purposes in your life right now. And I want to see that too. I want to encourage you in that. Being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Having right thinking leads to unwavering confidence. We're not talking about pride in your person. We're talking about confidence in God. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word to us today, and we thank you, God, for this wonderful reminder that, that you desire, you want us to have confidence in you that, that is unwavering. You want to fight our battles for us. You want us to be able to confront the face of the enemy knowing that you will fight for us. You have fought for us. You've already won the battle. And that whether the difficulty continues or comes to an end, you are good and we're, we're in the know. We know who you are so that we can have that confidence. In Jesus' name, I want to give you all an opportunity today to respond to two things. First of all, every once in a while, you know, I just feel like you need to have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. The love of God towards you that sent his son to die on a cross, be buried, raised from the dead, so that the the penalty for your sins can be paid and that you can be reconciled to have a right relationship with God. That's the, that's the key. That's the core of the gospel, that God wants you to know him. And I want to give you an opportunity. If you have never done that before, you don't know what it's like to know God, but you want to confess and place faith in Jesus' sacrifice for your sins. You want to repent for your sins so that you can have reconciliation to God and know him with everybody in an attitude of prayer with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If that's you, you've never done that, you want to make that step today with everybody in an attitude of prayer. I want you to raise your hand up in the air so that I can pray for you. You want to know who God is. You want to receive his sacrifice on your behalf. You want to have fellowship with him so you can know the good purposes he has for your life. Anybody at all? The other question for those of you all here who it applies to, maybe you're lacking confidence right now and you want to talk more about what you don't know than what you do know. And you know what I mean. Well, I can't do this because I don't know about that and this and that. Don't, no, stop. Listen, what do you know to be true? What do you know that you can stand on? If that's you and you've had a severe lack of confidence and you want to place confidence back in God for what he's doing in and through your life, I want to pray for you. So with everybody with their heads bowed and eyes closed, if that uh, pertains to you, raise your hand up in the air so that I can pray for you. You want confidence in life. You want boldness in life. You want fullness of relationship with God. Anybody else? Father, I thank you for these, my brothers and sisters, who you see their hearts before that hand even went up. You already knew, but they're in a place of being willing to confess to you that they're in this place. And God, I pray for them that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that you would remind them of how much you love them, that they could, they could dwell on and live in the things that they know to be true about you and not the lies of the enemy and all the things that he says they don't know. But they can have confidence and boldness in coming to you and that you would lift them up and you would use them to bless and to love and to affect other people's lives around them for the gospel's sake because you are good. Strengthen them, I pray, 
help them to come to a place of, of knowledge and knowing so they can have that confidence and, and adjust that process of thinking that they've been going through so that they could have right thinking and a right perspective. In Jesus' name we pray. Bless this week, Father, we ask. 